Welcome to Present Value. Hi, Present Value listeners. I'm Kara Esposito, a first-year Johnson MBA student and president of the Marketing Association here at Johnson. I'm excited to introduce this episode with Liz Riley from Colgate-Palmolive. In a year unlike any other for the consumer packaged goods industry, Liz gives us a peek behind the curtain of how Colgate kept products on shelves during the height of the pandemic. Liz and Paul discuss changes in online shopping behavior, striking the proper tone in advertisements during a pandemic, and the world of marketing in the new normal. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And as always, subscribe, share, leave a review, and follow Present Value on Instagram and Twitter at Present Value Pod. I'm your host, Paul Whitco. Today, I am super excited to welcome on Liz Riley, the e-commerce marketing lead at Colgate Palmolive. At Colgate, Liz is responsible for spearheading e-commerce marketing efforts across oral care, personal care, and home care product categories. Thrust into the spotlight as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, Liz has helped Colgate navigate the challenges associated with an unexpected demand shock in online purchasing. Prior to her current role on the e-commerce team, Liz has quickly climbed the ranks through multiple brand team positions, ranging from the toothbrushes team to the Irish Spring personal care products team. In total, Liz has over seven years of experience driving strategic brand growth at Colgate. Liz holds an MBA from our very own Cornell Johnson Graduate School of Management. Prior to Cornell, Liz received her bachelor's degree in business administration and psychology from SUNY Geneseo. Liz, thanks so much for joining us today on Present Value. Thanks for having me, Paul. Excited to be here. So I'll start with this. When we spoke a few weeks ago in preparation for this interview, we joked about avoiding all of the pandemic-related buzzwords, but I'm going to break my own rule right off the bat. Has 2020 been the most unprecedented year for you professionally? Could you have ever imagined these types of challenges when you joined the e-commerce team last year? Uh, Definitely not. It has truly been unprecedented. And I think we can all agree that word expires as of December 31st, 2020. And we She'll never use it again, but it really is the only way to describe you know, what we saw this year, and particularly on e-commerce, where the shifts that we saw were just monumental. Um, you know, We've heard stats, and I think McKinsey has estimated that the events of early 2020 accelerated e-commerce growth by five years uh, in the span of just eight weeks. So definitely uh, uh, a unique year to be working on e-commerce. Yeah, we're we're in the new normal now. To use another one of those buzzwords. <laughs> yes, exactly. But but this growth of e-commerce and sort of the boom that that you're talking about, you think it's a long term uh, or permanent change? Has this sort of just been something where fuel has been added to the fire, or do you think behaviors and purchasing behaviors might kind of revert back to normal, so to speak, once once things sort of settle down? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that certain categories, what we saw was fleeting, if you will, you know, in, in demand in certain categories reached 10 times the levels of, you know, what where they'd been prior to the pandemic. And a lot of those categories were unable to meet a fraction of the consumer demand across the industry. So while that kind of panic buying, those spikes from that demand, I, I believe were were more temporary. The explosion that we've seen in e-commerce is really, you know, just that acceleration. You know, I mentioned the five-year stat, and I think that was always to come. So it's less a question, I think, of what's here to stay and more about, you know, how high is high in terms of where e-commerce is headed. And and what are some of those categories that you said had 10 times the uh, amount of normal demand? 
Yeah, I think we all know the toilet paper story, but um, beyond that, you know, obviously hand sanitizers and masks have been the top trending terms in many of the e-commerce channels that we play in. Um, and for Colgate in particular, categories like liquid hand soap uh, reached all-time highs this year. When adjusting to these sort of demand shocks in, in, in the categories that you guys play in, how do you reconcile adjusting your short-term strategy to meet those needs with some of the long-term goals maybe that you had in mind and, and sort of the juxtaposition of the two? Yeah, it's interesting because e-commerce is such a unique channel where you really have the ability to make real-time changes um, in you know the immediate sense. And those short-term changes actually have really high impact on your long-term performance because that's magnified through e-commerce where you know there's an algorithmic impact and how well you perform in the short term actually in turn improves you know your organic rank and other aspects of your business so it has kind of that multiplying factor so it definitely became critically important this year to be able to act quick we definitely saw you know in in this year as consumer behavior shifted and we saw that surge of online shoppers particularly in channels like online grocery um, that channel, we know repurchase rates are extremely high. Over 65% of consumers are just rebuying prior purchases. So it was really critical for brands to get in early, capture those new users as they came online, and then build that repurchase over time. So this meant, you know, brands had to be very agile in their investment approach. Budgets, I think, changed every week for many brands. And that optimization across channels really drove performance. Excellent. And... In thinking about agility, I, you know, I think we think of uh, consumer packaged goods and these companies that have been around for a while and, and, and maybe have this uh, sort of brand of being stodgy, right, and, and not able to adapt with sort of the changing time. So how do you navigate those, those changes and, and sort of the bureaucracy that comes with being a house of brands? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, digital transformation is one of the big buzzwords as well within CPG this year, and Colgate has definitely been on that journey. Um, but even even more so, I think one of the biggest themes that we saw this year was supply, supply, supply. It became really a game of whoever could stay in stock ultimately won. So the managing those in-stock rates became critical in many of our cat core categories. I mentioned hand soap, where we saw consumer demand outpacing our national production capacity by many, many months. Um, so that required significant agility and ultimately, you know, required creativity. In that example, in hand soap, um, where we had a supply shortage from some of our packaging materials, we were able to pivot actually production lines to start using alternate packaging from other categories. We actually used Murphy's oil soap bottles from the home care business um, and filled them with liquid hand soaps as a, as a refill packaging option just to get, you know, our products to consumers and fulfill, you know, this new behavior of rapid hand washing, if you will. Right. In other categories that were a bit less extreme, uh, I'd say it still required a really data-driven strategy um, and using real-time analytics to inform those decisions. We needed to kind of converge all of the different data points that we were we were gathering you know, predictive inventory outlook, the category trends we were seeing, demand elasticity, all of those data points had to inform our marketing strategy. And really not just on a monthly basis, but on a weekly or even daily basis, we had to be, be optimizing. And so that's where automation of those data points became really critical, given that unpredictability and the, the rapid evolution um, that we saw. And another interesting thing that I'll note is it became an interesting opportunity to use alternate channels to, to source supply. 
or to provide supply to consumers. So that's where um, on Amazon, you know, the business side of the, the of Amazon, the B two B portion, became actually a strategic channel for us to reach consumers um, with some of our our product supply. Obviously, there's a third party market on Amazon and on Walmart.com that a lot of you know manufacturers uh, leveraged in order to just have alternate fulfillment options. And then direct to consumer, of course, um, you know, is a was a another option where necessary. So, uh, you know, in terms of the stodgy CPGs, I think we've seen a huge transformation this year. It required significant agility um, from both big and small companies alike. And just to take a half step back to something you mentioned early on there regarding supply being the biggest challenge and kind of the most important variable is. We, I can understand from a consumer standpoint, wanting the product to be on the shelf. And, and for me, supply would be sort of the most important thing um, that I'm thinking about. But why is it so important for Colgate to have uh, like products on the shelf all the time? Yeah, I mean, if you're not present, your brand's, you know, not there. I think um, mental availability, especially as consumers aren't in store and being naturally exposed to your brands became such an important um, part of part of success in 2020. Um, of course, we want to meet that demand, but we also want to be the brand that consumers choose. And coming back to you know what I mentioned earlier around repurchase rates being so high, I think that's another aspect of why supplying early and being being present for your consumers was so critical. Um, and, and one other point that you mentioned about uh, the ability and, and need to adjust budgets on, on sort of a more frequent basis, is, is that something that uh, each brand team has autonomy over? Or how do those conversations work in, in such a fast-paced uh, environment? Yeah, it's been interesting. I think uh, structure, organizational structure became a key factor for companies this year in winning, where you know, having the autonomy and overseeing all categories or having your e-commerce or digital, you know, marketing team being able to make those changes in real time was so important. So not needing, you know, rounds and rounds of, I'll call it alignment, right, internally in order to quickly act and, and capture those opportunities was a, was a key part uh, of winning. Uh, and, and one last thing here. So, with the pandemic and, and sort of the behavior around the industry, how has COVID-19 changed that relationship with competition? Has it sort of reduced tensions among rivals? Do you notice any knowledge sharing uh, to sort of get through the, the trying times? Or maybe is it more competitive, uh, with sort of dog eat dog to get your product on the shelf? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, love some good competition. But um, this year was definitely unique um, and unlike anything we'd seen, particularly in e-commerce, where the growth was so explosive and the channel dynamics being so unmatched, I definitely, you know, we, we saw a lot more knowledge sharing happening across the industry. Um, at Colgate in particular, we've had significantly more external conversations about those trends that we've been seeing, you know, participating in more share groups, significantly more webinars, panels, and conversations like this. So definitely a, a unique year in that sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So I, I guess moving on from sort of the, the overview of, of how the pandemic has affected uh, e and accelerated e-commerce uh, in this case, I want to move on to some questions about branding and, and the tone of your messaging. So I guess given everything that's going on during 2020, um, I imagine nailing the tone of your advertisements is particularly critical. Any slight misstep and uh, public backlash, I imagine, would be strong. So I guess first and foremost, what tone did you guys strive for across your brands? And, and how did you know this was the right tone to strike? Absolutely. Yeah, more than ever, 
you know, 2020, the message tone that you, you have for your brand is critical. There's really no set it and forget it type marketing strategy anymore. You need to make sure that, you know, across all of your marketing materials, your, your communication reflects the world that we're ultimately living in. Um, so what that meant for us this year was needing to ensure that we had deep empathy and could really put ourselves in, in the shoes of our consumer. And that centricity to the consumer, you know, was key in designing what ultimately became, you know, our, our messaging strategies. Um, and I think to design that for any individual brand, obviously you need to know your brand deeply, but you also need to use all signals available to you to inform that messaging strategy. So what do I mean? By signals, um, you know, ultimately, consumer using consumer listening to inform your plans, and that can signals can come in the form of comments on posts, likes, tweets, ratings, and reviews, or you know, on e-commerce um, product detail pages. It can also come in the form of questions and answers, and all of these different data points can serve as signals that brands can need to be integrating into their messaging and marketing plans. So when I write a review on Amazon, you guys are actually listening to that and taking that into consideration. We we a priority. We have what we call you know a we treat every consumer on e-commerce as consumer one or customer one. And, you know, need to ensure that we're not only responding to that, we're making right anything that went wrong. Um, and this continuous feedback loop has become an increasing priority for, you know, I think, I hope all brands, but definitely Colgate brands. Yeah, makes sense. And in thinking about when you guys are sort of setting setting that tone and you say there, there's no kind of set it and forget it mentality, that that totally makes sense. And um, I guess just with the the drastic effects uh, on the economy for the pandemic, was there ever a conversation that maybe it just wasn't the right time to push any sort of message? I, I imagine that's not where you landed, but was that part of the conversation ever? It definitely was. And I think we had several moments throughout this year, you know, whether it was in early March as things changed quickly or over the summer as there was, you know, heightened um, sensitivity and concern around social injustice. I think there were several moments where we paused support to kind of reassess and, and really get a pulse check on on where, you know, consumers were. Um, but I think at the you know end of the day, there there's still you know a brand role to be had in messaging and being a part of the dialogue um, and conversation. So um, again, we took it very week by week. I would say it was a, a an agile approach to everything, including our communications messaging. So just drilling down a little bit, can you talk about uh, this this brand tone and brand messaging that you so carefully crafted uh, for Colgate's brands? And can you give maybe a specific example of something that you altered to optimize brand messaging? Yeah, I think there was kind of two angles to it. One was around, you know, our product messaging. Um, we definitely saw those rapid shifts coming as early as even Q1 of this year, uh, where we saw some, you know, significant changes and even sudden sharp drops in what had otherwise been steadily growing and consistently growing categories like naturals and more sustainable products. Um, as we saw people prioritize more tried and trusted brands that really they knew were going to work. Um, so we quickly pivoted some of our product messaging to ensure that we were highlighting the efficacy of our products, you know, examples like antibacterial benefits, um, and then also optimizing more for relevancy. So coming back to you know the soap example, as we were running out of stock of liquid hand soap, uh, we we shifted some of our other product pages so that you know consumers knew that you could actually use body wash as an alternative to hand soap. So when 
the entire hand soap category might be sold out. Consumers could, you know, turn to body wash to, to ensure that they were washing according to CDC guidelines and, and all of that. So that type of um, messaging was, you know, uh, a short-term fix that, that solved some, some issues. Um, but obviously as, sen- as sentiment has more normalized, I guess, it's about finding those unique opportunities or moments um, that resonate with your consumers and what they might be experiencing. Um, so one example at Colgate this year was we knew many consumers, you know, had, had not been keeping up with doctor's appointments or checkups. So messaging around, you know, haven't been to the dentist and, and then how products like Colgate mouthwash can help protect them, you know, in between dental visits became a clear opportunity for our categories. Um, and then finally, I'll just highlight, you know, beyond the, the consumer facing messaging on e-commerce, it's actually also really important to think about how consumers find your brands. Um, we know that more than 80% of consumers start their brand search on e-commerce, start, start their brand engagement through the search bar. Um, and so, you know, being tapped into how consumers are searching and what that search behavior trends um, are, are looking like is critical. Um, and just recently, Colgate, um, along with, you know, some other companies released uh, research around how oral care products and particularly Colgate Total and our mouthwashes can um, prevent and reduce uh, bacteria within, you know, the COVID-19 disease. So um, suddenly terms around mouthwash ingredients, um, one being CPC, which I won't even try to tell you that, what that acronym stands for, but suddenly we started seeing search behavior rise for very specific ingredient terms. And so making sure that those terms were present on our, on our product detail pages became really important to ensure that we ranked well during those searches. So, um, a lot of focus on product messaging this year, um, as you, I'm sure, can see from those examples. Examples. Yeah, that, that's really fascinating that uh, people are searching for mouthwash ingredients. You know, I, I, I never thought that would uh, be the reality of, of consumer searching in, in 2020. Um, but it's it's funny you, you mentioned about efficacy claims and what consumers are, are looking for. So uh, does that mean consumers are not necessarily looking for natural products for these last six months? And they're just like, give me the stuff that works and, and I'll get back to my sustainability kick later on. That was definitely a, a theme we saw early in the year, and we've seen it, you know, before in the past. I think there is this shift towards, you know, reassurance. Again, brand trust becomes really important. I think we've seen naturals resurge, and I, I do think that long term, uh, that's the direction we're headed. But it was interesting to see how quickly those trends collapsed, more or less, or those categories changed overnight from what, you know the steady trend that they'd been on for for years, really. Yeah. And many of Colgate's brands are very closely tied to personal health and hygiene, of course. Do, do you believe that this positioning and brand equity has helped Colgate be a winner during this whole pandemic? Definitely. Uh, you know, e-commerce in particular is a uh, an endless shelf, if you will. There are, you know, when you walk into a traditional store, you maybe have four or five brands to choose from on any given shelf. But on e-commerce, there are in the toothpaste category, for example, you know, thousands of items to select from and more of these niche brands, you know, that had been rising on e-commerce. We definitely saw that more, you know, trusted and established traditional brands like Colgate um, definitely succeeded um, while those other brands maybe struggled a bit more during this year. 
and and taking a, a step back just on the on the messaging point again so uh, I know a lot of companies and Colgate included early on sort of had this give back messaging feel um, to all the advertisements and and uh, sort of brand notes early on in the pandemic but when when thinking about giving back, how, how do you make that seem genuine rather than a tactic to, to capitalize on the circumstances of the pandemic? I imagine that's a fine line, but it's very important to get right in the minds of consumers. Absolutely. I think it was, it's very important not to seem opportunistic about any of these situations. But at the same time, the modern consumer is very engaged with their brands that they choose on an emotional level. And they really care to hear about what the the brands that they use and buy are doing in response to this pandemic. And more than ever in 2020, I think it's critical for brands to have that authentic brand voice and and speak up about what it is they're doing Um, and making sure that your brand values, your CSR or your corporate social responsibility plans, your community impact are all at the forefront of your messaging. Um, so in Colgate's case, you know, we we actually partnered with the World Health Organization to donate 23 million bars of hand soap, which required you know us shifting entire production facilities over to only produce this um, this one you know donation based product. Um, and then we also donated another 20 million dollars in health and hygiene projects products to local community based organizations. Um, so behind that effort, I would say our, our paid support was limited because we we wanted to balance you know, the sensitivity um, and ensure that we weren't seeming uh, overtly opportunistic. But at the same time, we had that message there for those consumers who wanted to know what we were doing and how Colgate was making an impact during this time. Yeah, I mean, that's particularly impressive given the supply challenges you uh, mentioned earlier and, and being able to come up with that um, amount of product to, to make a genuine donation. It, it, you know, it's really about walking the walk at the end of the day, it sounds like. Absolutely. Great. So so in the Marketing Association here at Johnson, we'll typically take a look at a recently released advertisement from across the industry. And, and we saw one the other week from Amazon called The Show Must Go On, which had uh, an image of a ballerina who had her recital canceled. And then Amazon was there to provide a spotlight and she could do it from home. So I think this is a real shift in uh, sort of ad tone that we've been talking about that at this point, we've been living the pandemic for uh, a number of months, and, and it's sort of time to, to move on. Are you seeing that distinct change in tone from your side as well? Yeah, absolutely. We have seen that you know, from consumers, that desire to get back to a more normal state. And we've also seen it you know, across the industry. Um, for Colgate, you know, we saw it as an opportunity to refocus on our brand purpose, which is all around optimism and the power of a smile. Uh, which in particular this year, you know, felt like a powerful message and uh, one that resonates. Um, I do think, you know, of course, while this message feels evergreen, we are needing to constantly, you know, evaluate whether it fits the mood, fits the tone of our world. And particularly as we head into winter, I guess we're, we're in winter, but as we head into further, you know, lockdown, we'll of course be reassessing how, you know, we speak to our consumers. Yeah, there's no set it and forget it strategy right, at this exactly. point. Yeah. <laughs> so this is just one last question on, on sort of advertising and messaging. I, I know there's a lot of reports out there about falling TV ad spend during the pandemic and um, the price of online marketing dropping as well. So how have you guys sort of adapted your strategy based on those variables? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Digital is the new TV, right? In a lot of ways, I think that was always, you know, the the trend was headed that way. But COVID nineteen and you know the this year's uh, trends have accelerated that with people being online all the time. Um, so I think 
digital became a huge part of, you know, Colgate strategy. And I think similarly across the, the CPG world. Thinking about the new normal, if I think about Instacart, for example, um, there's a section where shoppers see the items that were previously bought, which which can create this stickiness and this high repurchase rate, which you referenced earlier. Uh, what is Colgate's strategy to convince consumers to choose its brand for their first purchase? Uh, and how did Colgate change its advertising strategy as a result? Yeah, absolutely. I think when it comes to being that brand that consumers choose at that forefront, really all of the marketing P's come into a, into play, right? It's not just about being present and, and your marketing strategies ensuring that you're visible to consumers, but it's also about having the right offering, having the right pack count, the right price point, you know, the right, the right sub brand offering. Um, so making sure that you're getting all of those elements right was extremely important. Um, and then to your point, I think there are a number of ways that we were able to shift our investment and test new, you know, new, uh, marketing strategies to see what really worked, um, on Instacart in particular. There's, you know, a range of marketing levers, uh, including promotional levers, you know, covering free shipping for consumers if they buy enough Colgate products. And then of course, you know, just straight search based and, and media based placements. Um, so I think for us, it was really testing across all of those levers and being very fluid in our budgets to see what worked and what really drove customer acquisition early on. Can you talk just a little bit more about that testing process and, and sort of what that entails? Absolutely. I think there's there's a media testing component, which really is a structuring what is the right level of investment to get me or maybe the minimum level of investment right to get me substantial learning and how do I pivot from there. And then there's what we talked about earlier, which is more the messaging testing. Uh, which I think also is a, a crucial part of any e-commerce strategy. Uh, that one, you know, can be in the form of A-B testing, um, which e- different e-commerce channels have different capabilities in A-B testing, but there's also, you know, pre and post assessments. And I think the, the real lesson that we've taken away this year is, you know, particularly in e-commerce, nothing, you can't be perfect, it, you know, that you need to follow that 80% minimum viable product rule in your agile efforts and, and learn any learning is better than, you know, a perfect test that takes uh, too long. Great. And and um, just thinking about Instacart again, for, for those listeners who might not be as familiar, can you can you describe sort of the dynamics in an app like that? And is, is it Colgate who establishes the relationship at all w- with the app or, or sort of optimizing the 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 search engine optimization within the app, or is that done at the store level? Yeah, it's it's interesting because across the the, land, the landscape of e-commerce, each channel is slightly different. So in Instacart's case, and many of the what we would call a last mile delivery solution, they have relationships both with the retailers and with brands like Colgate. Um, so once a retailer has opted in for their partnership with Instacart, Instacart will do all of the fulfillment. They'll shop the aisles of Wegmans, if you will, up in Ithaca. Um, and, and pick products for the end consumer. Um, but most of those shopping journeys are actually starting on the Instacart app versus on the Wegmans.com or retailer.com website. Um, so we, you know, at the beginning of all of this, I think we had to do a pretty in-depth assessment of exactly how consumers are engaging with these different platforms, um, to define what made sense from an investment standpoint. Um, and based on that, you know, I think, uh, being present on the Instacart app uh, which to your question is, you know, ultimately bidding on search terms on that app or, you know, .com, instacart.com, 
um, that became a key part of, you know, any of our brand strategy and making sure that, you know, our brands were visible through media investment, banner ads, and the search, the search placements that I mentioned um, became huge. And this is part of that sort of social listening you were t- you were talking about, trying to understand what consumers are searching for and 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 all of that, right? Absolutely. So this has also been accelerated by the pandemic and sort of ties into everything we've been talking about. But but retailers are just getting bigger and faster at e-commerce. So um, of course we think of Amazon, and I think that's the dominant player in the space. But Walmart, Target, Kroger. Um, all of the grocery stores are all expanding their their e-commerce footprint and um, consumer adoption of shopping for everyday products via e-commerce is definitely here to stay, right? So um, to me, the average consumer, all, when I go to buy something from one of these players, it's it sort of feels the same. I add it to my cart and it shows up in the next few days. But can you talk about some of the differences between uh, whether it be an Amazon or a Walmart or a Target and, and the, the strategies and challenges you guys have to navigate as the e-commerce team? Yeah. So, I mean, they might seem the same from the consumer angle, but they are definitely drastically different, you know, in how you go to market on these channels, how you can support your brand through media and marketing. Um, And strategically, I think each is taking a pretty distinct approach. Obviously, you know, Amazon growing rapidly, winning in many ways, but, you know, Walmart's push into online grocery, Target's focus on drive up, um, have both been really successful. And what's interesting in those last two examples is that they actually are pulling from in-store inventory. So it kind of creates this one unified ecosystem where online and in-store come together and making that omni-channel strategy, you know, is, is critical. Um, and when we look ahead, I think, you know, it's important that brands are building contingency plans because, you know, we don't know what's to come. Um, post-vaccine situations, you know, I think we need to be thinking about all of those scenarios and building unique strategies for each of those. And again, being agile, depending on each of those individual channels dynamic. And, and how do you see Colgate planning to to partner with these, these e-commerce customers and, and be a category leader? Is, are there different strategies you're looking to employ going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends, you know, on, on the channel. I think um, some of these retailers are very relationship-based. Um, Amazon, on the other hand, is the opposite of a relation-based, um, relationship-based um, channel where automation is key and being really, uh, you know, optimized is is how we win. So um, I do think that our strategy has become very unique, dependent on um, the different channel, and and that we need to again be adaptable to what you know the future holds for each of those different retailers. Great. And let's talk about omni-channel. So this uh, is, is something you just mentioned, but could you define what this term refers to for those who might be less familiar? Absolutely. Um, so omni-channel is essentially creating an integrated, seamless experience across you know multiple devices, touch points, even locations, and ultimately just allowing people to shop where they want, when they want, and how they want. Um, so I think, you know, you mentioned it too, but traditional retailers are getting better, faster at e-commerce. It's not just Amazon's game anymore. And, you know, we talked about earlier, consumer adoption is here to stay. Uh, but your approach to those retailers with that significant brick and mortar footprint can't look the same as your pure play customers, which, you know, is uh, direct to, to the end consumer like Amazon. Um, so the idea of Omni is instead of independently pushing different 
you know, goals in store on e-commerce or through your digital marketing efforts without, we would actually call multi-channel, right? The approach needs to be more holistic and essentially mirror the consumer or user journey and experience. And is there uh, for Colgate any sort of playbook or, or strategy that Colgate is looking to employ to, to win in this om- omni-channel world? Yeah, for Colgate, we are completely reimagining how we orient ourselves in this new world. Um, of course, you know, I mentioned organizational design becomes a huge part of the discussion. Uh, I recently heard someone actually in one of you know the share groups that we talked about earlier, uh, someone in our industry who referenced that their company, another large CPG in, in our space, um, was in the midst of their third reorg in one year. So that sounds crazy, but I think you have to be nimble and, and adapt and, and again, do what's right for your business. Um, but more than anything right now, I think our focus is really to truly understand our consumer, how they're engaging with our categories, both online and offline, um, because we actually know many consumers are, are, are straddling both where, you know, they're browsing their phone and browsing our category online while they're actually present in the brick and mortar aisle or in store. Um, so we know there's significant overlap there. Um, and so a big part of our focus right now is on that consumer research and, and journey mapping. And if you were to be uh, putting your consumer hat on for a second, are there any favorite brands that you have that are doing omni-channel well? So, so some brand that you feel is meeting you where you are, maybe that uh, you draw inspiration from? I mean, I hate to use Apple because I think it's such a uh, a go-to in so many ways, but it's so true that they have tapped every channel. Their their presence on Amazon even is impressive, but they also make the, even when you're in store, you're so connected to their brand through so many touch points. So I think that they kind of become a bit of the gold standard in in how brands can can really reach consumers in an omni way. I think, I mean, Apple is one of the most successful brands uh, out there. So I think that uh, anybody can draw inspiration from that for sure. True. And just based on how fast consumer trends and preferences are changing, uh, this idea of having your finger on the pulse is more important than ever. And, and the power of digital marketing and, and harnessing data from digital engagements, uh, I think, could be really useful in this sense. So looking into the future, how is Colgate thinking about digital capabilities to stay closer to consumers and optimize the way that we re- reach them in real time? Yeah, I think we are at one of the most pivotal moments probably in in uh, consumer marketing in the last several decades. Um, we're really seeing this, you know, what we're calling kind of the collapse of the marketing funnel. The buying process of consumers has become completely non-linear. And therefore, right, your marketing strategy cannot follow a linear approach. Um, so, you know, a heightened importance of a people-first approach um, and a data-driven strategy so what does that mean? You know, for Colgate, it's about using audience-led planning, about layering, you know, your first-party data with second-party and third-party data to really be uh, customized and personalized in your targeting and, and so on. You know, we talked about everyone being online all the time and digital needing to be at the core of your marketing plan. And I think e-commerce needs to be central and integrated um, within that digital plan. Um, so I think uh, definitely a, a heightened focus on on how we you know market in a digital world and with trends like you know social commerce on the rise that being a critical part now of a full funnel media plan I think um, it's really about allowing that seamless process from the consumer's point of learning to browsing to buying 
regardless of what channel they're in. That's really the key, I, I think, to a successful marketing strategy going forward. And I think part of that too, and, and what we're seeing are some digitally native brands and direct to consumer brands, which, which sort of own all those consumer touch points and can give you a great level um, of data on on the consumers that you're trying to reach. How do these DTC brands fit within this this omni-channel strategy and some of the digital marketing strategies you were talking about? Yeah, I think digitally native brands have you know come in and completely disrupted the way you know bigger brands like Colgate think about uh, you know our 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 position within the category and the role that we play. So I definitely think. D2C and more digitally native approaches have become critical part of not only those historic brands that have entered this way, but now for more established brands to be a part of their brand strategy. Um, first party data has obviously become an increasing priority and um, continues to be uh, spearheaded through our D2C efforts. But I do think, you know, it's important that brands clearly identify the objective of their, of that specific brand strategy. And understand when the opportunity is to drive scale or sales, when it's actually to drive data acquisition, which of course, you know, in turn can drive scale or sales. Um, and when it's about more, you know, experimentation to drive learning. So crystallizing the, the goal is important to then decide what is the right, you know, go to market for this product or item. And I think beyond even the channel approach, performance marketing or growth marketing and Real-time optimization will be the key to success with that agility that we talked about earlier and the consumer centricity really enabling that success. And have you seen these strategies manifest? Just to give an example with Hum, one of, one of the kind of star products we've seen uh, in the D2C space? Yeah, so Colgate, uh, Colgate's electric toothbrush launch earlier this year, Hum, we we spent a lot of time crystallizing that, that go-to-market approach and D2C was a, a key part of it. Um, Again, I think it's defining what your objective is and whether it's, you know, testing, rapid testing content through your DTC page and getting, uh, purchase, you know, data and, and direct consumer feedback. Um, for us, that was a key part of that launch and that actually helped inform our e-commerce strategy. So testing, you know, campaigns through direct to consumer, building out that audience insight. And then using those audiences and building lookalike audiences through our e-commerce targeting efforts was one of the most successful strategies that we saw with that launch. That's great. And this is the last question we have. I, I loved that you mentioned earlier about the collapse of the marketing funnel, uh, which is one of the concepts that we learn in core marketing here at Johnson. So to our listeners out there who might be aspiring marketers and brand managers, uh, any closing pieces of advice for them as they enter the world of brand management in this rapidly shifting digital environment? Yeah, I think everything you learn throughout you know, the core, throughout the strategic marketing immersion, um, shout out to Minoj, um, anything you learn throughout all of that, I think is kind of that foundation uh, but when it comes to marketing in the real right world, if you will, I think coming back to that consumer centricity and that empathy will be be kind of your guiding light through it all. Because I do think through volatile times throughout this year, right, we've seen huge shifts and unpredictability in that consumer behavior and the way that people are shopping. So I think being able to closely connect with your consumer use your research and insights team to tap into, you know, directly that feedback. And like we talked about using all of those signals, I think is the number one way for you to, to lean back on and fall back on in defining your strategy. That's awesome. Well, Liz, thanks so much. Really appreciate you joining us today on Present Value. 
Thanks so much for having me, Paul. It was great. The Present Value Podcast is an independent editorial project created by students at the Samuel Curtis Johnson Graduate School of Management at Cornell University. This episode was produced by Gadi Arita, Minwei Tsao, and Tyler Ashcraft. I'm your host for this episode, Paul Whitco. Music by Poddington Bear, logo by Kalechi Pomango. Until next time, thanks for listening to Present Value.